Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. You know, when you think about the kind of transition facing humankind today, you know that the stakes are high. And although we like to walk around operating like we're in the know, the fact is that many of us are not in the know. There are great changes taking place. And there are people that are here on Earth to help midwife humankind to an advanced consciousness, to a place of stewardship and peace and recognition, and to elevate what's possible here. Our guest is one of those people, and it is my great pleasure to welcome Mary Rodwell, who is a former nurse and midwife, but actually she's a midwife in the spiritual sense. She's a counselor and hypnotherapist, a metaphysician, and she is the principal and founder of a CERN, the Australian Close Encounter Resource Network in Perth, Western Australia. Mary has traveled all over the world as an international speaker, introducing the whole concept of abduction, of the UFO presence, and helping people heal and deal with their experiences who may feel isolated, may feel like they're going crazy, and are experiencing either trauma or concern with how to deal with it. She is the vice president of the Star Kids Project, an advisory member of Exopolitics. She has written the book Awakenings and has many DVDs and CDs available. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mary to its rainmaking time. Good morning in Australia. Good morning, Kim, and thank you so much for that wonderful intro. I don't I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> you know, one I have to tell you something quickly. Many years ago, I was a tournament tennis player, and I've shared this on the air before. At a young age, there was this man named Tommy Cook who used to be this big announcer and promoter, and he introduced me one day at a tournament. There were like 300 people in the audience. He gave me the biggest introduction. I mean, it was like being at Wimbledon. I walk up to the baseline to serve, and I kid you not, Mary, I served the ball, and I hit the corner of my racket. I hit the wood. I never even hit the sweet spot. I got so nervous, I knocked the thing 500 feet out of the bleachers. So sometimes good introductions can help, and sometimes they can hinder, but I know in this case that they're helping. Because <laughs> I'm talking to a fellow midwife, so I know it's a help. Some people may say, we shouldn't be laughing, this is not a laughing matter, but I have to tell you that many years ago, I always thought I was very neutral about the subject of ufology and the alien presence and close encounter experience. The only thing I knew years ago in terms of my own personal view, which shapes a lot of what we think, is that I accepted that we were not alone. I didn't need proof. I just accepted it. And I've always had an interest, but I have never had the level and depth of attention and interest like I have now in the middle of my life. And so I'm exercising great discernment to find people who are stewarding this subject carefully, honorably, and with excitement and forbearance at the same time. And you appear to be one of those people. So I'm, I'm delighted to have you on the show. Thank you, Kim. The first thing I want to ask you is there seems to be a distinction between the third dimension and the multiverse or this multiple universe that we're living in that is shaping what we see and what we're filtering in in terms of our understanding of reality. 
And I've heard you talk about this on different videos and you've written about it. But I think to begin our conversation, I'd like you to distinguish it for the audience. Well, I think what I need to say is that, you know, the indigenous peoples do not have a distinction between third dimensional reality and the multiverse or multidimensional reality because it's part of everything they accept within themselves. They know there's an unseen world. They experience it in other levels. The problem is with Western society and our devotion to the scientific paradigm is that unless we can touch and feel it and see it, then we're told it doesn't exist. So for those that have experiences of a multidimensional nature, and that's anyone with clairvoyance, clairaudience, um, seeing spirits, seeing extraterrestrials or whatever, basically they're told from an early age, if they do say that they're experiencing this, that it's not real. And so they're in a constant flux between the third dimensional reality that they're told is real and their other experiences in a multidimensional reality. So this constant conflict um, continues unless at some point they themselves can decide whether or not they're going to honor that other aspect of their experience. And that can take many, many years before they will do that. In the meantime, they will try and deny those experiences, um, if you like, um, because they want to be normal. They don't want to be seen as strange, weird, and wonderful. Um, they don't want to be seen as crazy. And to give you a profound example of the problems that causes, a 14-year-old girl that I write about in my book, Awakening, is that at 14, she went to her GP saying that she was seeing aliens. The doctor then um, diagnosed her as schizophrenic, and she was put on a cocktail of drugs, which over the next few years um, caused her to want to commit suicide, or she at least tried to a number of times, until she finally, about 19, phoned me after seeing some talk shows on, you know, the whole contact experience, um, realizing for herself that, in fact, she was not crazy. But unfortunately, the damage with the medication by this time was one that made it a real journey for her. So this is why I'm so passionate, um, Kim, about this, is that we are medicating and diagnosing as um, a, an abnormality something that really is part of our heritage. I guess on a clinical level, I'm sure that you could understand why some people in the medical field have asserted that this is a clinical condition because they're superimposing schizophrenia on top of the experience of what this young girl expressed, even though it wasn't that. You know what I'm saying? I do, absolutely. And this is why we have to look at, um, we have to research in psychology what I call, the, you know, the, our multidimensional reality. Um, because at the moment, there's still a divide where, you know, the questionnaires that psychologists use are if you're hearing voices, then you are, you know, um, psychologically unsound. Whereas, in fact, many people, and, and, and we are now starting to honor the fact that some people see a broader um, reality than, than others, such as clairvoyance, mediums, whatever. They're not crazy. They are just able to perceive at a greater or wider breadth of reality than many of the rest of us. That does, you know, we've got to learn to start researching and understanding that rather than seeing it as an abnormality. Don't you also think that when we rely on higher guidance, that 
there's many ways that guidance comes in. It comes in through the intuitive faculty of sensing how we're supposed to do something or how we're supposed to proceed or if we're supposed to proceed or what to do. But it also comes in in direction. Like I get direction to do things. I get both sensing and direction. And sometimes I even get don't do that or throw that out or do that again. Look out for that. Like that, I get actual word. Sometimes I would wake up and I would get instruction upon awakening. That's how some guidance comes in. And so I think there's no context, there's no paradigm in the psychiatric realm for this paranormal and this intuitive realm of communication, whether it's from what we would call divine communication or this extraterrestrial intelligent communication. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, um, you know, it can be a gut feeling, it can be a sensing or just knowing um, that, as you say, that intuitive sort of awareness, or it can come in an auditory way where something in your head is saying this isn't a good idea and you know it feels right, you know, and that is completely different from someone being controlled by voices that are telling them to jump off the cliff. Um, there's a distinct difference between that. And, and one is a very grounded way of being in touch with those other senses, that feeling or that knowing or that energetic feeling um, that gives you information. I mean, all these senses are something that I've needed to understand and explore myself because it is, you know, um, it's really important that we have an understanding of these extraordinary senses that actually everybody has, but we, are, we suppress them because we're told only to trust the left side of the brain, the cognitive, rational side. But in fact, it's the right side of the brain, the creative, intuitive, that is the one that taps into this, this higher knowing, this higher awareness. And it's time we, we honored and validated that as an important part of the balance between the right and left brain. Since remote viewing got a stronghold in the military intelligence community and there are still people living who were in that original Stargate project who are teaching it. We learned even from that, that time and space as we know it is not what we think it is, is not what we've been taught it is. And in order for remote viewing to work, the ability to locate specific data from the past and to transcend time and space, something that's already happened, our notion of time and space has to be totally different for them to be able to do what they do and go back and gather that information in a manner that's non-psychic. So we know just by that, that there's evidence that a lot of our understanding of reality is completely off the mark. But even with that knowledge, which is not really all over the world, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean that it's been widely accepted or that enough people know about it and really understand it. So when you talk about ET abduction, and here you are as a hypnotherapist who's supporting people in these experiences, part of the problem is also dealing with their circle of influence, their network of people that are impacting them that are also not trained. They don't have the experience and don't have the education on how they can be a healing force for these people. That's exactly right. Um, and one of the biggest um, uh, problems that I've isolated for many of those having experiences, not having the chance or the opportunity to be um, acknowledged or validated by either their partners or their, their parents or even their children, 
um, almost isolated by them because they all think they're a little bit crazy or a little bit loony and stop talking about this and it's scary. Um, all of those things, they do not have the tools to understand or accept that there's a possibility even that this is a reality, even though... The, the, you know, the person may wake up with strange marks on their body. Sometimes there's been such things as literally the person been missing from their bed. They've been found outside with all the doors locked. Very tangible things that will go with this. The family will be freaked out or scared. They, you know, they sometimes think it might be demons or whatever. So they get all this judgment around, you know, really all they're wanting to do is saying, look, this is what's happening to me. It's real enough for me. I need someone to listen. So, you know, there's, there's, there's so many ways that they're isolated. And, and that is, is one of the primary ones is that, you know, sometimes they've told, you know, a, a brother or sister or mum or, or partner and ended up in a psychiatric ward. Dr. John Mack's work, when he went to the children, was it in Africa, Mary? Where did yes, he... it was. Okay. It was actually in Zimbabwe. Okay. I want to talk about that for a moment because... The first time I saw that video was a month ago. And I have to tell you that if we don't listen to the children, 60 kids running into the school saying what they saw, are we going to call kids delusional? Are we going to say that they're schizophrenic? Kids have a pure heart. They call it as they see it. That was so profound. Talk about what happened. Well, primarily it was a school in Zimbabwe um, where the children saw a craft landing and beings coming out of it. There was quite a few children at the school that actually saw it. Now, Dr. Mack um, later went and interviewed them and their stories were consistent. They explained what they, you know, they, they actually drew the craft and the beings. Some of them said they felt very different after they'd actually um, had the experience of seeing this. And it was really profound in the way that <clears throat> there was no difference in the consistency of the stories. Now, what you may not be aware of, Kim, is there have been similar inc incidents with schools. One was in the Solomon Islands where um, a uh, missionary and uh, children in the Solomon Islands saw craft. But there was also one that happened that landed um, in Adelaide in 1966. It was called the Westall Incident. And there a craft landed just outside a playing field in Adelaide. And the children all saw it, including a teacher. But what, what happened was, and of course this is the difference between the Zimbabwe one and this one was um, that it was all, um, the, the head teacher was visited um, the, the military came and um, the whole uh, incident was basically shut down. They were told the children weren't allowed to talk about it. The head, head um, teacher basically said to all the children, you are not allowed to mention this anymore. It's, it, you know, it didn't happen. And these, these people now are in their middle 40s and some of them are still traumatized by what they actually saw and the craft. All of that was seen, including one of the teachers, but it was all shut down. In fact, even the, the, there was a TV interview um, done with one of the school children at the time, and that even that went missing. So much as I don't want to get into the conspiratorial side of this, we do know that a lot is hidden from us. So this is part of the reason so many people struggle to honor their experiences. But with John Mack, he literally um, interviewed all the children involved in Zimbabwe. And as I say, the stories were consistent. They all spoke about 
you know, what they felt when they saw these beings. Some of them felt like they'd had some kind of communication with them, um, which was really interesting. Um, but more than anything, it was the absolute consistency of each of the children. And the teacher, um, one of the teachers he interviewed, actually said, look, you know, they've never varied in what they've said. They've always said the same thing about it. And you probably know, Kim, that a lot of my work is with children having encounters. And what I find is absolutely incredible. You know, young children drawing the craft, um, a four-year-old drawing a, a triangular craft with an energy field around it. Now, what child knows of energy fields? You know, a young boy of five that says to his mother, I don't mind going through the walls, and they teach me more on the ships than I learn at school. Now, this is a five-year-old child talking about his encounters. These are things that children wouldn't, you know, they don't see talk shows. You know, they don't get this on the TV and they don't read books, but they're coming out with information that is very profound and often related to their encounters, which on, uh, for the most part, don't seem to scare them unless they're told to be scared. And that's really important as well. You know, if you invalidate that and say it's not real, then the child is in conflict. So what is real? Um, and that's the, the, the difficulty. And, and when parents come to me and they are concerned about what to do about this, the most important thing is, is to listen. And uh, if that is real enough for the, the child to talk about it and, and articulate it to you, then it's about honoring that. And that is extremely important with the children um, who are having any form of encounter. There is a piece of this that I want to talk about, and that is the dynamic in many of the children in Zimbabwe. I say many, meaning a handful that I saw interviewed Talk about that they were afraid. And the thing is that there is something really profoundly on one level foreign about this phenomenon when it manifests itself in front of us. And yet I know that there are different reactions. One is we have to fear them. They're going to hurt us. They're bad, blah, blah. The other one is they're here to make contribution. They're here to bring forth a whole new part of what it means to be alive and to be human that we have no clue about. And yet the truth is always somewhere in between. And so my question to you is, are you really coming from we shouldn't have any modicum of fear or forbearance? Where do you stand with regard to how we're supposed to view the reality that they're here, that these abductions have happened? Talk about that. That's a big one, and um, I'll try and encapsulate it because that's been one of the major um, questions when people come to me. Now, some of them come to me in absolute terror and fear, and there are others that come to me where, in fact, these, these different intelligences feel more like family than their own species. And this is the, the, the challenging thing for me as a researcher because primarily the ones that see their own species as more terrifying and more barbaric and, and more primitive than they do their, what they feel is their other family out there in the stars, if you like. So um, the 20 to 25% of those that come to me terrified, feeling they're the, uh, a victim of their experiences, understandably so, because, you know, they feel very vulnerable. They may be taken, uh, you know, at night. They may be, in fact, taken during the day. This doesn't, you know, it, this, it's not true that it's only at night time. Sometimes they can go on a journey and, and then find they've got missing time where they've had an encounter. Now, with the ones that are traumatized, 
What I have discovered um, was when I have taken them into hypnosis, that what they are um, believed happened may not actually be quite what happened. They only seem to get snapshots of what may have occurred. And it's the snapshots that terrify them because they don't know what they mean. What they've often discovered in hypnosis is that it isn't quite the way they had assumed from their conscious mind. And that's really important because I go into any hypnosis not knowing what we're going to find and it could very well be that it appears that these beings are, um, you know, they are using someone in, in a way that they feel have no, they've got absolutely no in, in, input or consent. One of the questions that I ask when they're in this deep space, uh, a deep place, which is obviously in um, what you, you know, the subconscious, I put stroke superconscious, part of you that knows so much more. Um, that's the part that I'm talking to in a hypnosis. And I ask them this, this question every time. First of all, we find out that procedures may have been done. These procedures can be anything from a medical exam to a healing procedure, which confronts a lot of people because they just think they're being used as some kind of genetic um, piece of equipment rather than, in fact, there's anything else going on. But there may be genetic material taken, but there also may be healing done. Education is done on the craft. They are taught to use their abilities on the craft. They have um, information about the true origin of the species. They're taught about cosmology. They're taught a huge, you know, quantum physics. Now, this is a revelation to many people who first come to me because all they can remember is being really scared, of being coming and taking them, not knowing what's going to happen. And one of the other questions that I ask time and time again with a similar response, have you on any level consented to having these experiences and nine times out of ten they will go back now this is going to confront maybe people who don't believe in reincarnation and no i'm so glad death, i'm but... so glad you're bringing this up because we are going to talk about the consent and the contracts on a soul level go right ahead well this is what's so important for the person that i'm exploring i'm helping to explore that deeper part of their knowledge and awareness one of the things they will say is i'm a ball of light and it's then I have consented because many of them, again, this is very confronting material. Many of them say that they are relatives or come from the origin of the beings they're interacting with in human form. So they are coming to bring in their awareness, their knowledge, their understanding and skills for um, a program which they say in that space is to assist with the evolution of humanity, the, the human species. So they're bringing in those skills from their origins, and that's why many of them feel they don't belong here, that they're not from here, that their family is out there and almost feel like they've been dumped here, and they don't like it. They don't understand the way humanity behaves. They say it's very barbaric. It's very primitive, and they can't understand why they feel that way, why they even feel different to their own families their parents or their siblings. And this is because they seem to bring in with them the knowing or understanding of this other aspect of themselves, for want of a better word. So when they discover that this is part of their greater reality, it changes everything in how they view their contacts. And even their contacts change because they no longer feel like they're a victim. They feel more of a participant in the experience. And because of that, the fear, because they are no longer fearful, their encounters change. 
So um, what they say to me is this, that the reason that they are taken in a trance state is because the beings know that they will react um, and they can harm them because they are physic- we are physically stronger, that the only way is, if you like, to an- anesthetize them until they get the understanding so they're not fearful anymore. So this is a completely, you know, it's an amazing turnaround for many people who come to me tra- traumatized, but with the understanding of this, they actually can integrate and open up to a, a healing and balancing place where they then go into a more conscious communication often with these intelligences. Now, the way that I describe that is um, I, did, I participated in a um, thesis which was comparing shamanism to the UFO abduction experience, and uh, this was done in Western Australia. And it, um, what was found was the parallels between a shamanic experience and a modern-day UFO encounter experience in the sense that in a, as a shaman, you have to face your demons. Um, you have to face your fears before you can truly interact in a multidimensional reality. And this is exactly what happens with, with the um, encounter experience. Once they understand it, they are actually more consciously participating because they, have, they literally transcend those human fears. So it's, it's almost like, and, and the, the results are transformation. Um, more um, more uh, awareness of their multidimensional abilities, healing. Um, many of them discover they have healing abilities, clairvoyant abilities, telepathic abilities. They are aware of having information downloaded into um, their subconscious, which contains um, da- data, which I call the software for the new human. So this is what people don't realize. They're only seeing a very small part of what this whole encounter scenario is saying. That's only 25% of the, you know, I've, I've dealt with 1,700 cases so far. I can only go on the patterns of experience as I try to understand what I don't know. And interestingly, the others are what I call the star kid side of it, the sleepers, the third wave, are those that have a sense of something greater. They feel they're here with a mission. They've got something to do. They don't understand humans. They don't like being here. Many of them try and dumb themselves down at school because they don't, um, they don't want to be different. Many of them will even go on to drugs and alcohol to suppress their clairvoyant abilities and their, their multidimensional abilities because they want to fit in. But all of them uh, struggle with the reality, their multidimensional reality and their human third dimensional reality because of the fact that they, you know, they don't know how to manage it because it's denied in Western society. But they don't want to be here. They say, look, I, you know, I don't understand why, why I'm here. I feel like I've been dumped. And so you've got those that um, really um, aren't frightened of these intelligences. They, they feel very connected to them and they talk about them like family and they will welcome their interactions. They will welcome their contacts. So you've got this huge panorama and mix of encounters that that go from absolutely terrified on one you know um, on on one level to the those that uh, welcome it as it makes absolute sense to them and it's humans that they're fearful of. So you know what people don't realise is that that broad diversity which I can only put down to each soul's journey is I, is different and that as a soul. 
we choose a different kind of interaction to wake us up to um, our, the, you know, to our, if you like, our greater self. I want to just go back to the part that was started about the consent issue. If a person's cosmology is that everything that's happening is just happening in real time and there was no soul agreements, there was never a time in which they lived before, Akashic records don't exist, none of that is there, then there's no context over lifetime after lifetime in which to receive and to view this type of an experience for oneself, one's family members, friends, or anybody. There's no way to accept the consent issue to say, I consented on a soul level to this, if you have no context in which to even potentiate the thought of that. So the worldview and the cosmology has to predate the acceptance of consent, because Otherwise, to say that a soul consented it from people that don't carry that worldview, they can't absorb it. They can't integrate it. They can't get it. It just looks like the license to abduct people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. So I do, Kim. So I just wanted to say that the consent can only be acknowledged by older souls who have already accepted and have a knowing that they have been before or other souls who are receptive to that they have been before as a soul and wherever, whatever country they're from, whatever background they're from, whatever, without that general receptivity and an openness to that consent in terms of abduction cannot be accepted. Do you agree with that? What I would say, Kim, is that would be certainly correct if um, people didn't understand hypnosis and working with the subconscious. I have worked with people who didn't believe, for example, for one minute in past lives, but in hypnosis have gone back to them and explored something that they don't even believe in. But in in regression hypnosis, that has unfolded. Um, And interestingly, when um, I've taken people to the place of an experience where they're seeing procedures being done and what have you, And I've said to them, we're going to find out now why these are being done. And the information is available to them. They will articulate it much to their own surprise on one level. But on another level, they say, this is what it's for. And it's interesting that in that space too, again, they may not believe in past lives. They may not believe in souls. They may not believe in any of that. But their subconscious has an answer and the subconscious will often give this to them even if they don't consciously believe it they were what i remember one gentleman basically having a dialogue with this being in this experience i wasn't saying anything and he was saying to this thing well i don't remember saying i agree to this and he was saying quite angrily to this being in this hypnotic regression and fascinatingly he came out with oh Oh, it was then. Oh, when I was, oh, when I was, oh, right. Oh, oh. Um, but I still, I don't remember it and I should have remembered it. And so he was giving himself the, his own answers through that deeper part of his own knowing, if you like, or the subconscious was answering his own questions. I had nothing to do with it. That's fascinating. But he was getting the answers from that deeper part of himself. So when you work in hypnosis, you know, it, it bypasses the conscious. 
um, mind, the conscious paradigm. And so you do go into that other part of yourself that has the knowing. But if people don't do that and they're still relying just on conscious um, understanding, then that may not be available to them and will not make any sense whatsoever. That's brilliant what you just said. I totally get it. I totally get it now. And how long have you been doing hypnosis and what brought you into personally making that available to other people? Well, I've been doing hypnosis for about 15 years. I mean, as you know, my background is nursing midwifery, but I went into counseling about 25 years ago um, and and done everything from grief and bereavement right through. So it was only when I met my first client with this experience that I'd been doing some deeper work because ultimately you go from the medical paradigm, which is looking at the physical health, to the emotional, psychological one, which is going to a deeper level of why we manifest illness in the first place, to the spiritual component. It's inevitable progression, as I'm sure you, you know very well, Kim. And so for me, I wanted to know from that deeper level. I explored healing, uh, energetic work. I, uh, you know, I opened up to the intuitive side of myself and, and started to work with that as well, which was enormously valuable in, you know, understanding energy and how, you know, we, we pick up people's energy. We, we pick up information on these, on these other levels. So hypnosis fascinated me because I know we're a product of our programming um, nine times out of ten when we're being programmed in utero right through to, you know, six or seven where everything goes on the hard drive no matter whether or not it's accurate or not. You know, um, if you're told you're stupid at three, um, it, you know, you'll take it onto the hard drive. And it is, you know, you can be 33 and still believe you're stupid on some level even though you've got 15 degrees. You must be um, a great so, hypnotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, it's 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 one it's a wonderful tool because it enables you to bypass the conscious and you know I firmly believe absolutely that we have all the answers we ever need held within us. I I believe that our subconscious, superconscious self has the answers. It's just a matter of getting the key into that. And for me, it's about you know the, you know using the tools I have to help somebody find that key. That, that wisdom within, that healer within. And I believe that we all have whatever we need. And we're our own guru. We're our own student. And we have it all within us. And so that's what I work with, with that premise, that everyone can answer their own questions and find their own way. Because as a soul, I mean, it would be crazy for us to be born onto a planet without the tools that we need. It doesn't make any sense, does it? You know, logically even. So that's what I work with. Why do you think it is, given the marvelous work that you're doing, that we can't just operate from our subconscious? Why wouldn't we be designed optimally? I can't necessarily answer that. I think that we, um, the way that I understand the life journey is that the soul itself, and this is from working with people with past lives, um, going into what we call the life between lives. Dr. Michael Newton's done some wonderful work in that where, you know, Journey of Souls, for example, and Destiny of Souls, and Dr. Brian Weiss, the psychiatrist, has also worked in this field. He's great. Fascinating. Well, this is the kind of information that has helped me to understand what I call the big picture. And and with all of that, you know, my my clients have told me that before they come in as a soul, they are choosing the life that will give them the greatest learning so that they pick their challenges through that life, through their parents, their siblings, 
um, for example, um, and, and the way I understand it is that the soul says, right, this lifetime I need to learn about compassion, I need to know about justice, etc., etc. So what is going to give me the, the lessons that I need in that, this lifetime to gain the wisdom and understanding of those, those experiences? So I, it's not like it, in, it, in, it's predetermined in the sense that the, the soul has chosen, if you like, the subjects to learn, but what isn't predetermined is our attitude to them and how we choose to see them. And that's where the choice comes in, is how I understand it. So you can choose to see the cup half full or half empty. You can choose to see your experiences as a victim or you can choose to see your experiences as a growthful experience that is teaching you more of what you don't know. So let me ask you this. You seem to be a person that operates with a profound amount of divine integrity and divine guidance. If I'm superimposing that on you, you tell me. But my sense of you is that. Is that your view? The way that I don't know, all I could say is that for me, my primary um, role is to support, um, to support people through their journey in the way that, you know, I came, I was a nurse. Um, a counselor is that I feel like I'm here to serve. I feel like I'm here. I suppose I'd like to die knowing that in some small way I've made a difference that my life has been purposeful, not only for myself and my family, but I've, I've left um, a few people better off for me being around, if you like. That would be my, my tombstone, you know, that um, I've, I've made a difference somewhere along the line um, I'll, I'll tell you a very quick story about how this, how meaningful that is to me. Is when I was in England, I gave a talk in Oxford, and I had a lovely old man of 75 come come up to me as I was um, on my stand with my books, and he said, "Hello, Mary." He said, "You don't know me, but he said you might remember my name. My name is Bill." And this old, this beautiful old man was barely able to walk. He was disabled, and he says, "I've come from Somerset." And he said, and I've come here today to say thank you. And I said, what for, Bill? And he said, because you saved my life. And I, I didn't know what to say to that. And I said, how? And he said, well, you were the only one that when I was desperate, nobody would believe me. And he said, and I'd written this letter that it got sent to me from um, a magazine in England because they didn't know what to do with it because they knew I supported people. And Bill was from the Navy. He'd seen the craft. He'd touched them. He'd, he'd had nobody to talk to. He felt he was going crazy. And so what I had actually done was very minimal. I'd answered a few of his letters, you know, um, in the way that I do with all my emails and what have you. But he said, you were the only one, he said, who believed me. He said, and I was thinking of taking my life, he said. But through the fact that you'd, you'd written those letters and took the time and effort, you've no idea how much that meant to me. And he said, so I've come here to say thank you. Now, he traveled all night from Somerset, especially because he knew I was in England and he, he, he wanted to tell me that. Now, I can't tell you how humbled I was by somebody going to all that trouble just to say thank you. But it reminded me of how important it is that we don't even know half the time how we help people. We don't know with a smile in the street or whatever how much we can make a difference. And that just reminded me of how important it is to, to do what we do and to do it with heart because at the end of the day, we just don't know what a difference it's going to make. So that stays with me and that's my mandate. So if that makes any difference, that's a long-winded way of no, saying... No, it's a beautiful I, story and it totally makes sense. 
Do you pray? I do, but maybe not in the conventional way anymore. It's a different kind of way. But certainly, I acknowledge all those beautiful, higher, um, loving beings that are out there supporting us from every level. And I would feel very alone. And I do believe I have guides and helpers. I do believe I'm supported by some of these beings that we call extraterrestrial. I feel them around, and um, some people say they see them with me when I give presentations. So I feel very, very supported. And and there was one time when I was terrified speaking at a big conference once where um, it was about a 1,000 people, and my knees were shaking, and I was sure I wasn't going to be able to say a word. And I always remember this. I call it a metaphysical valium. I just suddenly <laughs> stood there thinking, I can't do this. And my whole body felt like it was covered in a cloud of energy that all of a sudden I felt I could float. And I found myself speaking calmly and, and uh, coherently and peacefully. And I kept thinking, what's going on? And it was like the most amazing thing. Nothing, I wasn't afraid of anything. And this <laughs> happened like instantly. And I, I, I remember thinking, well, I'm going to be fine now. But I knew I, you know, something had, you know, they'd injected me with something. But whatever it was, it did the trick. And I, I was a different person. And I know now whenever I get really scared, I just need to ask for that metaphysical volume and um, I'll be sorted out. <laughs> Do you think that angels exist knowing what you know now? Absolutely. I, uh, I have every belief that they are there. I have every belief that the, you know, that the light is there and that all of us carry it. I think we are all amazing. We are amazing beings and we just don't know yet just how amazing we really are. And for me, it's, it's about, you know, um, honoring that in every single person I meet because we are, you know, you get a little child of, of three and four that, Really, you know, they're only three or four in our terms, but can actually be our teacher. So, um, I, when, uh, you know, in, in Christian beliefs, you know, I remember something that beautiful man from, um, I think he was a star being personally. Jesus said, you know, I may be in the beggar in the street. And I've always remembered that, that, you know, whoever it is that I meet, no matter what, what station in life or who they are, what they may actually be that beautiful being, you know, um, that, you know, and all these other beautiful beings we don't know. So we've got to stop judging by image, haven't we? And, and realize that there's at heart, we're all beautiful souls. Indeed. Do you have any fears or deep concerns at this point in your life? Deep concerns. I, my deepest concern is that we're being ruled by fear on this planet. And that um, we we are being you know we've been programmed into fear. I, I I suspect on this planet by those that are self-serving. And I don't want to go into anything more than that. I think people will understand what I mean. And I think that the most important thing is not to buy into it. Um, that we have to realise our own potential and that we're here. You know when I when they say well they think you know something terrible is going to happen. You know the 2012 and and whatever. The way that I, I look at that, and, and, and that's why I won't buy into the fear, is there are so many amazing souls being born right now with incredible abilities. The star kids, those that are still to be awakened. These are, you know, they call them indigos, crystals, children of light, uh, golden children. There's so many names given to them. Now, that to me, it's illogical that all these amazing souls um, being born at the moment and have been born for the last 20 or 30 years 
are not being born to be taken out in some major catastrophe, um, you know, in the next few years, because that would be illogical. I think they're being born because we are reaching an important part in our evolution, and they're here to be part of it, to participate in it, and to assist us in that transition. To me, that is what I, I would like people to hang on to and not to buy into the fear that's out there, because that just serves to trap you into, um, you know, uh, a belief that you're powerless when, in fact, you're not. So for me, that's what I fear. I fear the belief in fear. Because that's what holds us back. <laughs> that's great. That's <laughs> that's a great paradox. I feel like I just entered the Gordian knot. I fear the belief of fear. <laughs> Listen, I think the 2012 is a theater of what's going on. And what's being programmed into the mass mind is tremendous in terms of destruction and terror and fear and trauma and all that. And I love what you said. I appreciate that. Let's talk about the fact that you are one of the very few people that I've ever heard acknowledge that our consciousness is being slowly but surely transitioned for the ability to accept extraterrestrial intelligence and off-planet cultures and the fact that there's been life in the universe forever. You didn't say it exactly that way, but basically I heard you in a video talk very eloquently about the fact that we're not all supposed to know right this second or 10 years ago or 20 years ago that the consciousness is not prepared collectively to know yet. People are waking up at different times and at different rates and levels. And so this is being staged to happen without the whole world falling apart. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, if we understand that these intelligences have been working on, you know, this, in this, these programs all over the galaxies and the universes, they know exactly how to work with the psyche of any individual species and they are doing a progressive desensitization to, on this planet to us accepting that we're not alone. And even though intellectually 78% of people now believe there must be intelligent life in the universe, that's one thing to intellectualize. It's another to integrate that it's happening and it's been happening for millennia, that we are in fact hybrids and they are our protogenous in the first place. They, they came before we did and actually assisted us all through, all through history in terms of even our religious paradigms. So, you know, for me, it's, it's really important now for people to not only intellectualize that, but to understand that this is the only thing that makes sense. And if you look through any um, area of human knowledge, from anthropology, archaeology, um, biology even shows the anomalies in our DNA, etc., etc., it's there, staring you in the face once you're open to listening to it. But the biggest thing for anyone who's having encounters is the realization event that if I take this on board, everything I've ever been taught is now going to change, that I am going to have to start again in learning about who I am, where I'm from, and, you know, the true history of humanity. Very, very eloquently said. Aside from in hypnosis, which you explained very clearly, where people all of a sudden get access to something they may not even believe in in the conscious mind, don't you think that the soul age of a being is also going to make it easier for them to accept 
the fact that extraterrestrial intelligence has been here before we were? Absolutely. What, what I haven't gone into is what I call the third wave or the sleepers. These are people that just have a sense or knowing of a, a greater, um, if you like, uh, universe in, for, in simplistic terms. And a sense that, you know, that they, they've got something to do, uh, but nothing concrete. You know, not the marks on the body, the nosebleeds, you know, having strange things like that happen at all. But they've always had um, a sense of, you know, looking after the planet, knowing that it's important, uh, maybe being drawn to healing and this kind of thing without really any sense of this. But there will be a time where they're woken up, where they've actually had interactions, maybe only in an astral, uh, astral form on the craft, and they have been educated. Now, this is really um, frontier stuff in terms of um, even ufology, and it's information that I've, I've gleaned through many, many different people going into hypnosis where they will be taken astrally and given information that they need. They will even go and report what they are understanding of the human condition to other beings in astral form. And they have no memory of that consciously. They are, if you like, dumbed down when they come back to the planet astrally or physically. But at some point, um, it seems that many of them will be woken up and then they will have their full mandate. They will have their protocols. And some of the downloading of information that one eight-year-old called knowledge bombs in a head, to me, um, is suggestive of, of if compressed files, if you like, of protocols and information that will enable them, when this shift happens, to operate um, more fully because they will actually have a new paradigm to work with and they will already have had information they need to assist them with this transition. It's very, very complex. It's multidimensional. It is, it is um, a matrix of layers of desensitizing and information that these incredible intelligences are working with. And we're not just talking about one. We're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different forms and kinds of, you know, there's not one form of gray, for example. There are many different forms of those. There are many different kinds of humanoids. That We're talking about a matrix of intelligences, energy beings, light beings, you know, transcendental beings, interdimensional beings, um, you know, we're, oh, and potentially those that are from our future, by the way. You know, if you really want to take what I understand now of, of how we're being assisted and it's all part of a huge program of cooperation from our, you know, from the the um, cosmic um, family, if you like, to assist this species to grow up. I totally get that, and probably you and I have the Galactic Federation as our board of directors. <laughs> <laughs> I have a cute little story for you. I have two sisters, two wonderful sisters, Jackie and Karen. And one of them, as I was a young child, my older sister, Karen, used to really be interested in UFOs and would talk about it and was really excited about it. And are they here and everything? And my younger sister, Jackie, would just laugh her head off at her. And the rest of the family would start to laugh. I thought it was interesting, but it wasn't my thing at that time. So I just kind of enjoyed the conversation and the laughter and the whole bit. And I'd watch Karen talk about it. And I have to tell you that just after my father passed away in 2003, my younger sister was at her home in Palm Desert with her family, her three children, in the jacuzzi with her husband, and they see a craft just sitting up there, no sound, no nothing, as big as a football field. 
And apparently this happened a couple of different times and then over the 405 freeway. And my younger sister went from laughing as a kid for years to holy Toledo's. <laughs> holy Toledo's. We don't know what that was, but that was not normal. And they all then ran in the house after, I guess, however many minutes in the jacuzzi. But it's so funny. And then all of a sudden, my very conservative younger sister really registered it. And then everything was confirmed to my older sister. Now, it's funny. And I laugh just simply because I know the dynamics of my sisters. It's just funny how things happen at the right times for people to get access to something. You know, at the end of the day, we're all going to end up scratching our heads, throwing our hands in the air and saying, we're not quite sure what's going on. I think we only have a little part of the picture, you know. And if you love to learn and you're receptive, then this is fascinating. And if you feel like you have to control everything that's going on, then it's much harder to receive this kind of information. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think it's like joining the dots. And I always <laughs> say the dots encompass the universe. Uh, what I would like to add from your wonderful story is that what people don't realize and, and something that's come to light in the last year or two is that um, what, uh, um, when I was working with a 15-year-old uh, young boy in, in England um, who'd had you know, a very scary experience, but what was fascinating was he saw this craft land with the beings, and this is in hypnosis, and he says, I'm seeing some orbs of light. He said, oh, it's granddad and grandma, and he said, and Uncle Ted. And I sort of, um, I said, what do you mean? He said, the orbs. He said, the orbs of light with the ETs. And I said, well, why are they there? And he said, oh, they've come to let me know that I'm quite safe and I don't need to be frightened. They're here to support me. So he'd recognized the orbs of light with the ETs. But what was even more fascinating is when the ETs left, the orbs of light went onto the craft with the ETs. So what it's suggesting, and I've got other evidence to support that, that they are working in the dimensions of soul and that this is a whole new aspect to the ET scenario that um, I'm now becoming familiar with is that, it, you know, there's no separation. That, in fact, you know, we see it as a different thing entirely and, and people who are clairvoyant think spirits and what have you are different to the ET thing. No, they're not. It's all part of this big picture and um, that is exactly what my research is saying. So I'm not really surprised, you know, um, to hear about the UFO after your father died. Yeah, it was just interesting. And we were all sitting at a table for lunch and my younger sister started to talk about it. And she was like, you're not going to believe this. But of course I accepted it. But it was really funny, very conservative. And I can't even explain to you like how the dynamics of each sister communicate themselves. But it happened that way because that's the opening. You know, my older sister was supposed to get confirmation. My younger yeah. sister was supposed to be awakened and humbled and made clear to expand her horizon of what's happening. And I was supposed to enjoy the ride of this whole thing. <laughs> I have to tell you, it was really funny to hear the story. And Eva, the woman who took care of our mother, who got Alzheimer's and passed away in 2008, she was at the table when Jackie, my younger sister, was telling the story. And she's a born-again Christian, but she accepts this whole realm. It's so interesting. So I think that the acceptance also really does have to do with many incarnations, many lifetimes, aside from coming into access to that under hypnosis. It's a very, very interesting time. Do you have any concern about what's happening on the world stage politically, 
with the banking system, with the food supply, with the air quality. Do you have any concerns for any of that? And do you feel that that is being managed from this extraterrestrial realm? Or do you feel like it really is left in our hands and the powers that be here are really worsening the situation where the extraterrestrial realm will have to intervene or none of it? What's your take? Well, it was interesting because I, you know, only recently I was in New Zealand where there was the earthquake in um, Christchurch. Um, What was synchronous was that very morning, one of my clients was actually being shown some of the earth shifts and changes in an experience. And um, it was very, very um, emotional um, in terms of what was being shown. But what was fascinating was also was that after being shown that, um, they were shown also um, information that various hundreds of people now, hundreds of thousands of people on the craft, I mean, we're talking about sometimes going on to be shown certain things. And there was a, if you like, um, a package or a protocol that was given to each one of them that was watching this and being shown some of the earth changes, etc., which was actually showing how they are going to know how to manage it, how they new protocols. In other words, giving them their their um, protocols for um, all the different things in different areas, from social the social side to the ecology side to all the different disciplines. And these people were obviously in the right place at the right time to be able to to put these together. So it seems like we've been given the tools. Um, ready for certain things to happen, which was an, a mind-blowing one for me because it was, again, showing how, you know, we're being assisted. We are not, they're not going to fix it for us. That's the one thing that keeps coming over and over again. We're here because we're on the ground. It's our journey. But we are being given the assistance, uh, the tools, if you like, to help us to manage what, what will happen. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I actually celebrate what will happen, not the, the, the pain and the suffering, of course not, but I celebrate the fact that we need to sort this planet out and the only way to do it sometimes is through um, the, you know, the school of hard knocks. You know, we, it's tough love. It's how are we going to wake that person up? Sometimes they have to have their back against the wall before they actually start to realize what's important. And we've lost the plot on this planet. We really have. Look at, look at what we, we, we celebrate. You know, we, we are, you know, um, it's money, it's, 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 um, power, it's greed. All those kinds of things are, are what rule this planet right now. It has to change and we have to refocus. And the only way to do that is to give us a boot up the bum. And I think the earth is going to give us a boot up the bum. And I think also we're, we're getting it from all levels. You know, everyone is going to have their own personal challenges with this to grow up and to, to realize what's important. So in a way, I celebrate that tough as it is. It's like, you know, you have to let the kids burn the custard to learn how to make the custard. And so, yeah, we're going to burn the custard first. But at the end of it, something very beautiful is, is going to happen. And I think that all these new souls that are coming in with their gifts from all these other planets, and, and, and this is what my research is showing me, they have the abilities, they have the gifts to help us through this transition. We know it's always darkest before the dawn, and we know that the dawn is going to be something beautiful because it has to be, and it can only get better. 
after what happens. And, you know, we have to go through, you know, the operation first, you know, and it's painful. But eventually we will get well and we will get well with a new earth and a, a new sense of what's important with, new, with what I call the new human because I think we're all going to wake up. I think this is, we're waiting for the hundredth monkey. When that happens, this is when this planet will really start to get on track. That's how I feel about it, you know. And so despite all the, the negativity that's about at the moment, all the, the turmoil, I mean, look at, look, at, look at Christchurch, how people start to help one another, start to realize what's important. Yes, they've lost everything, many of them, but sometimes we have to lose everything before we realize what's important. And I think this is really what this is, is, is showing us. That's my take on it, and it's certainly not without compassion for those many, many souls that have, have taken such a tough challenge to grow. You know, when you talked about the ETs have no commitment to intervene, right, until a certain point, like it's within our realm. Whatever's going to happen, it's within our realm. The only thing I would say to you on that is how do we explain the fact that there are ETs by all these missile silos that show up on military bases. On some level, we are seriously being watched. I think on some level, if it gets to the point of pulling the trigger on that, I think they will intervene. It has to be almost at that level. Do you agree or disagree? I, I do agree. Um, because what they say when we even explode one nuclear bomb, it actually affects all the dimensions and them too. We don't realize energetically what that's doing, but they do. And that's why they are around, why they've deprogrammed so many missiles. In Bent Waters, they did it. They've done it in many missile uh, uh, sites over in the U.S. Um, uh, Robert Sala, for example, um, actually talked about this in, in, his, in his book where um, when he was in, uh, in the military where um, the, he, was, he was present while the UFO was outside the perimeter and obviously sent some kind of frequency down to the silos where the missile bases were. Um, he talks about it in his book, Faded Giant. Um, I know Robert very well. And, you know, he's one of, of many now, the whistleblowers, that are saying that this has happened on many, many military sites where they have the nuclear missiles. And it, it's got to happen that we, we get help in those kinds of ways. Right, that's what, what I meant. One part of me totally gets what you're talking about when you talk about not living in fear, not having fear, not taking on the fear. And you have this no fear stance towards the extraterrestrial and abduction phenomenon. And I get because of your proximity and your many years of experience with this, you have kind of a peace with this. But some part of me in the conscious realm cannot accept and this is me and i'm sure it's happening out there right some part of me cannot accept that all ets just like all people are all good there's got to be some bad ones this translation is happening in a little dot in the blip of the universe okay i realize that but in the conscious realm it's really hard to get that there is no polarity that way and therefore that part of what you're translating and communicating is hard to accept and believe do you know what i mean i do and i'm not saying that there's not those that are self-serving that's not what i'm saying i am 
I would think it would be, um, and this is a funny word for me to use in a way, unrealistic to <laughs> think that there was no po- polarity. What, a, what a, you know, what's above, below, below, above a kind of thing fits for me. Um, and I certainly think there are some that are self-serving. Um, I've got no doubts about that. But what I would say is that um, the majority of what my data is showing me with all the people coming to me, even with those with a very negative um, sense of their experiences, understandably, some of that, of course, is my lab, and that's a whole new ball game. This is the military orchestrated abductions where people are taken by the military and uh, uh, literally abducted and terrorized, drugged, and there's... there's um, a lot of evidence to show this is happening in, in a number of countries where they are made to believe that's an ET-related abduction when it isn't. And this is all the propaganda, again, to get us to fear these intelligences. And people need to know that that's real and it's happening. And I've met a, a lot of people having those, those experiences. Having said that, I'm not denying the possibility and certainly acknowledging that some um, of those extraterrestrials too may be self-serving because I, you know, I can't say I don't, I don't believe that because I don't know. Um, so it's logical to expect that there certainly are. Um, whether we're being protected from those to a certain extent by those that are assisting us who are in fact our extended family, um, maybe that's the case. Maybe some of them get through quite possibly and you know, I don't know. All I can say is that it's, it's, of course it's possible. But my, the evidence of my research is showing primarily when people understand it at the depth that they do, um, all I'm seeing generally is, a, a, if you like, a protocol to help this, this planet and, and its, its peoples evolve. But that's not to say that in the universe, and certainly um, some may very well be interacting with us in a self-serving way, I've just not seen a huge amount of evidence for that yet. That doesn't mean, though, it doesn't exist. And maybe, you know, tomorrow someone's going to walk in my door and that's exactly what I'm going to find. So I have to, obviously, be objective. I have to be open to all possibilities. And like everyone else on this planet, I'm just joining the dots. I've no idea where the dots are going to lead. Um, you get one answer which only begets another question. I don't know what I don't know. But all I can do is ask the universe to inform me, to help me do the work in the best, uh, with the most integrity that I can. And hopefully when people, you know, walk in, they walk out feeling better than when they walked in, when they come to see me and, and, you know, do no harm is my mandate. So I'm just hoping that I can continue to do that. That's so beautiful. I do want to say something about the MyLab. And that is that, as you know, many years ago, Carol Rosen had done some speech writing for Warner Von Braun many, many years ago and was at his deathbed where he talked to her about the fact that they were going to stage an alien destructive presence on Earth using a holographic technology to get people to fear the extraterrestrial presence and to look at it as an enemy, to look at the ETs as an enemy so that they could pass laws to take over outer space and to weaponize space because space is the final frontier for a military-industrial complex. Not to get into this whole thing, but just to tell you that That's why I can appreciate what you're talking about with the other side of these abductions being military, my lab abductions, which are a totally separate phenomenon. I could see how that could be going on for reasons that are a part of this. Absolutely. And it's very important people realize that and realize there are many top researchers 
that have my lab on their books but don't acknowledge it. And some of the very negative stuff that has been written, I believe, is because what they're actually looking at is my lab rather than, in fact, um, you know, an ET encounter. What people don't realize is, and this is really like sci-fi, is there's a such thing as program life forms. Uh, these are genetic material taken by the military where they've actually cloned and created program life forms that look like ETs, but in fact programmed by the military. And that's what people are seeing rather than real extraterrestrials. But some of those on the, uh, those experiences that have, have actually been informed of this on the craft and are told how to differentiate between a real extraterrestrial and a program life form. Now, this is really sci-fi stuff to a lot of people. They may find it very hard to believe. But um, all I can say is in my research, I have um, a, a enough data to believe this actually is a reality. And we, you know, there's so much more. That some people need to look at a book by Dr. Uh, or the, the information by Dr. Michael Wolf, who died in 2000. He worked with the, you know, above top secret on these programs where he knew about the cloning um, and, and what actually we are. So, you know, in the secret programs, they are 30 years ahead of what technology and what we understand right now. You, people have got no idea, actually, what's, um, what, is, what is known about in, in these black budgets and, and secret programs. I have to tell you something very funny. I did an interview with a scientist who had this big press about his advance in holographic technology. And... It was very interesting to talk with him. But then when I started to talk with him about how far holographic technology has come, he had no clue that there were military patents that allow holographic technology to do things that he, he couldn't even imagine, that there are actual patents on this stuff. And so I told him the patent numbers and I gave him a link to the site. But it's just so interesting. And if you really want to know how far technology is, too, you just go to the patents. The patents tell you everything, what they're in possession of, how long they've had it. By the time they're filing it, they've had it a long time. One last fun question. Would you like to ride in a craft? Oh, look, um, I, <laughs> I would be the first in the queue. Um, I'm very much a space cadet. I have to tell you, I, I don't know, but certain people have told me they've seen me up there, so maybe that's the reason. <laughs> But um, I've got no conscious memory. But I have said, look, I'm your best PR agent down here. Isn't it time you gave me a ride consciously at least? So um, I will be very, very annoyed before I actually leave this, this planet physically if I'm not at least given one ride around the planet. Um, I think that's, that's the very least they can do. You're so funny. Would you like to go with any family members? <laughs> what about your son? Will he go in the craft with you? Well... <laughs> Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you very quickly. Um, my daughter was about 16 or 17. She doesn't remember this, but we, she'd got up one morning saying, Mum, I, uh, uh, I had a dream that a craft landed outside and a little E.T. being um, stepped out and he asked us all if any of us wanted a ride. And she said, and you can imagine, Mum, I was busy making my cup of tea of the day because that's how I wake up. And I was half listening to her as she, t she was telling me this. And she was saying, and we're all standing there, Mum, but I stepped back. I didn't want to go on, on the spaceship, she said. But you, she said, you, you put your hand up and you said, you can take me, you can take me. And <laughs> I sort of was laughing as she was saying this. And I looked down and I actually had a nosebleed, 
Well, for anyone who knows about encounters, you know, people who wake up with nosebleeds, it's actually a classic for you've had an encounter that night. So there you are. Probably I did go. Probably you've been on the craft. I I wonder if we could get Barbara Lamb to regress you. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? Oh, look, um, a lot of people have been very um, intrigued with the fact that um, I haven't had a regression for that. But I did have a beautiful lady I'm working with, and she did suggest that in one dream she had, she was actually taking me around and showing me around the craft. She said, and you were absolutely wide-eyed, Mary. So we have decided at some point we might even look at that and see whether or not she actually did that or not. So um, I'll I'll keep you posted. It would be very uh, interesting. It's such a great delight to have you on the show. I loved your book, Awakening. I love what you're doing. I appreciate that you're helping people all over the world, both by the Internet and by telephone, and that you're so courageous to step out with this. This is not easy, particularly with someone with the credibility of a nursing degree and profession. God bless you. Truly, God bless you for what you're doing. Kim, it's been an absolute pleasure, (laughs) and um, I'm more than happy to do it again sometime. I really enjoyed talking with you, and it's been wonderful for me to be able to talk at the depth that you've allowed me to because I don't always get that opportunity in these kinds of interviews. So thank you so much for that. It's been a delight. It's been a great pleasure. It's rainmaking time. (laughs) (laughs) you got to ask the ETs what it's rainmaking time means. (laughs) All right. (laughs) God bless.